Hi, this is Jeff D. Hi, my name is Gary Savard. Check it out, Bubba Brinkman. I am the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson. Hi, this is Jody Emery. Hi, I'm R.N. Rod. Hi. I'm James Rand. Hi, this is Phil Ferguson. Hi, I'm Michael Shermer. Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick. Hi, this is David Silverman from American Atheists, and I took a left at the valley. And that was the best turn I ever made. (laughs) (laughs) I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith in unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an Ah, uh, coming at you from some bad cave in Abbotsford, BC. This is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I'm very fond of my gold watch. My grandfather sold it to me on his deathbed. <laughs> Joining me as usual is the kick-ass atheist team who wonders, what would be the speed of lightning if it didn't zigzag like that all the time? She couldn't fix the brakes on her car, so she just made the horn louder, Nancy. Oh, well, that doesn't everybody? <laughs> I mean, I'm from Texas. <laughs> That's how it works in Texas. That's how it works. <laughs> she sent us a postcard of Earth with the caption, Wish you were there, Teresa. What? <laughs> and he wonders, how much deeper would the ocean be if it wasn't for sponges? Scott. Right on. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. I hope you had a great week. Oh, yeah, the weather's been fine. Finally, finally, the weather. We have earned every good degree of this weather by paying for it over the winter. It's just the end of May. I mean, it's about freaking time the sun shows up. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to have a great show today. We're actually going to be talking with the host of Dogma Debate, David Smalley. (laughs) Nice surprise. Yes, absolutely. That's going to be great. But first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Um, don't know about if you guys heard, but James Bond died. Yeah. Roger Moore, my James Bond, because they say that because he's the one I grew up with. That's the one I grew up with. Yeah. Too. Yeah. James Bond. So he's your favorite, or they're just the one you grew up with? No, but he's the one. When you say James Bond, that's the one that comes to mind. For me, yeah. Yeah. Because you know, it's, I grew up with him, right? So that's the first face that comes to mind, and then I think of probably Daniel Craig because he's the current one. Yeah. But yeah, so he dies uh, at the age of uh, 89, and uh, he was a different James Bond. He was a passing of an era. Yeah, it? absolutely. I also saw, man, uh, remember seeing uh, some very old black and white uh, shows of him playing uh, Simon Templar in The Saint. The Saint. Remember that? Yes. Wow, that is ancient. So I'm the only one that, when you say you uh, probably James think Bond, is Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, for a lot of people it is, but like I said, I just grew up with Roger Moore, so the first one that comes to mind right away. Yeah. Yeah, so. He was a good one. Yeah, so, you know, one bond down, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You expect me to talk. (laughs) (laughs) No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. That was that was Connery. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was good. He he brought he brought a bit of uh, humor to the uh, the James Bond role. Oh, he definitely did. Yeah, it was he was more of a almost a farcical James Bond. But anyway, yeah, you can always sit and watch another Bond movie, regardless of how many times you've seen it. It's always enjoy. They're they're always enjoyable. Yeah, I would my think so. my favorite was always Live and Let Die. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yes. My favorite Bond movie of all Live time. And die. Yeah. Hmm. I you know I can't even think of. Would be my favorite James Bond movie? I don't know. You know, maybe a View to a Kill. Mm. That was a, an old Roger Moore one. Anyway, uh, unfortunately, bad news. Another day, another jihadist. Uh, you guys heard about the uh, Manchester attack in the oh, UK? That was particularly At the h- horrible. Ariana Grande concert. Yeah. Yeah. I how mean, many, uh, how many dead? Twenty nine. Uh, Twenty two. 22 dead. 22 dead. ISIS claim responsibility. The guy uh, fingered, his name is Salman Abidi. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to make a, uh, a joke because, you know, sometimes dark humor is the way to, to do this because <laughs> part of me was thinking, hey, 
You know, an Ariana Grande concert now costs you an arm and a leg. Yeah. Oh. Well, that's too soon. No, that's a little that's too, too soon. Too but soon. it's hard because but it was it, it involved children. Yes, and that's exactly it. Yeah, and there, there's no way to alleviate the pain. You know. Uh, you know, I just finished a book by uh, by uh, Steven Pinker of uh, the Better Angels of Our Nature, and there's a one point there where he says uh, the thing with terrorist organizations and terrorist plots is eventually they go over the line to the point where they lose their own support and i think that was probably one of those moments you know you're attacking civilian targets i think is, is not not a right thing um but when you're attacking kids you know tweens you talk about the uh, the youngest yeah, victim what, was eight years old what was the point exactly exactly well, that's, the point that of point ter- that's the point of terrorism i mean it then you, you think if they're will they stop at nothing and then you become more afraid should you go to the kitty land and take your child on the on the rides should you go to the circus yes, should you, you, you know, should well this is what they're i think this is what they're trying to they're trying to instill fear in the in the greatest amount of people so that they're de- Stabilized. Well, I think I think there's also well, for a lot of them, uh, uh, ISIS and all that. There's always a question of honor, right? You know, mm-hmm. you affect. There's no they honor have in doing no that. Honor. The, no. Yeah, there's no honor in that. There really isn't. And uh, to, to claim responsibility for that, and I think uh, I think a lot of people that might have supported organizations like ISIS will think the same thing. There is no honor in killing young defenseless girls. There really isn't. We'll know by next year. We'll see if there's been any any shift. We'll see. You know. That's so uh, in the meantime, some associates were arrested. Uh, apparently, the five people were arrested, including the older brother, uh, who they both of them were born in Manchester. Um, the French intelligence said that the uh, Salman uh, fellow actually did travel to Syria and apparently studied. Well, if you can say that, uh, how to become a, a jihadist there. Uh, so it's a story that will keep on going. And uh, I'm I'm seeing I'm uh, I'm hopeful because I'm seeing some uh, some backlash from the Muslim community. You know there was this wonderful uh, I don't have the uh, the article with me here, but there was this wonderful uh, imam in Australia that was uh, saying you know no our, our book is is violent and we really need to revisit Islam and rethink the way we're doing things. And that he coming from said an, that? yes yes and uh, that coming from an imam. Uh, it was like, whoa. <laughs> wow. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and this because was an, an uh, normally they deny, deny, deny. Exactly, exactly. They always say, oh, no, it's not It's not Islam. It's, you know, political, social, economical, whatever. No, no. He says, no. The, the book says we should it's, do this to infidels, and we really and, need and, to rethink. And that's what, the, uh, what we call the extremists are doing. Exactly. They're, they're exactly. following. Exactly. Exactly. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And we'll do a little trip uh, through... Uh, through time here, um, 40 years ago, some people were sitting in a dark room, and where were you when you heard this? For the first time. 40 years ago, Star Wars oh, I appeared on the screen. <laughs> I was, I was, I was in Welland, Ontario, yeah. at the Seaway Mall in the theater. You <laughs> with my dad. You actually watched this in 77? I watched this in 77. My dad took me. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I bet you I can outbeat you. Joyce and Kingsway is where I lived, and I went there 10 times. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well, in 77, uh, I was three years old, so I did not I see was, it when it came out. Oh, yeah. I was, I was, <laughs> and you know, the neat thing is when the, when the f- episode one came out, mm-hmm. I was able to take my son. He was 10 years old. So I took him. Yeah, and it was like, I think that's what Lucas actually planned when he did it that way. He wanted generation for generation. Maybe. Maybe. I remember in 77, I was in Dallas and went to see it. And remember the sound was fabulous. Everything about it. Oh, well, just the the scrolling letters on the screen. Yes. That was the first time anybody had seen that, where the the lettering was scrolling back past the stars. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Yeah. Got a, got a lot of press beforehand, and it was um, it was dominating the movie news for a long time. The little movie that became a social uh, pop culture phenomenon, <laughs> for sure, right? <laughs> Star Wars. And still goes on today. May um, the force be with us. That's right. <laughs> the first time I saw Star Wars was actually the first time I went to a movie theater. It was actually a classroom trip, but it was for the third one, Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Yes. And, uh, Very cool. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that was my first introduction and the beginning of a 
lifelong affair with love of movies <laughs> for myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my dear Nancy. Yes, sir. What are we doing today? Are we doing a... Well, you know, usually you do the top ten and you look at the best. Well, today we're going to bottom feed and we're going to do... We're doing a crackwalk. The ten worst anti-science websites. Okay, these are taken out. There are a lot. If, if you if you ask people who are knowledgeable about the top ten, you're going to get some variations. So if any of you have some that aren't on my list and you want to jump in, feel free to okay. jump in. These uh, top ten were taken from the Skeptoid Media. With Brian Dunning, is, you know, Skip, do you know is, Brian is, Dunning's uh, podcast? No, but I want to ask you, is leftatvalley.com on that site? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it better not be. No, I didn't I, I didn't see it. I could have closed <laughs> my eyes in horror, but I don't remember seeing it. Anyway, here we go. These are the worst anti-science websites, uh, according to Skeptoid Media. The first one, number 10, is one called heartland.org. Do you know that one? No. It's a free market think tank that prepares research and reports for whatever clients want it. So, I mean, it's okay to promote policies that support an ideology, but what they do is they deny hard science in support of whatever ideology is paying the bills. So that's really a no-no. So anyway, heartland.org is one of the web's best funded and most comprehensive attacks on climate science and that's been in the news because of the the summit uh, this this last week um, the interesting thing about this list is that Brian gives you alternatives so if you read something from heartland.org and you want to rebut it or refute it um, the best thing to do is to go to skepticalscience.com which is a site dedicated to combating global warming misinformation so that'll equip the layman with tools needed to rebut the kind of misinformation that Heartland furnishes so if you want some good arguments you know for mm-hmm. climate uh, change there you go so heartland.org that's number 10. Number nine is one that I had no idea. Well, I, I, I knew it existed, but I hadn't visited called ChristianAnswers.net. Oh, <laughs> is there a little clue there yeah, that yeah, might yeah. be on the list? Anyway, there's really nothing wrong with a website devoted to teaching Christianity. That's perfectly fine. But this one decides to teach factually incorrect information about the entire natural world. And it does like Christian Answers of the Month and Kids Questions of the Month and so each one um, gets into things like malevolent spirits and where do these dangerous, hostile, and evil entities come from. So unfortunately, it's preparing preparing kids to carry on with misinformation and and never really understand what real science is all about. Why can't I see the sky for the color it is in their world? I I wish I could. I wish I could get past my, my... natural tendency to be logical and rational and live in the fantasy land they live in because it would be so wonderful it it, it would be so a healthier way to answer your questions about paleontology and evolution um, what Brian recommends is pandasthumb.org. Do you know about that one? No. I, I didn't have a chance to, to look at it. I, that's one I, I'm really not aware of at all, but it sounds pandas thumb sounds pretty interesting. Okay. So we'll, we'll have to take a look at that one and maybe do a report on it. It just sounds intriguing. Gives it a thumbs up? Yep. Thumbs up. <laughs> pandas thumb up. Yep. Number eight. Chopra.com, our favorite no, Deepak Chopra. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, there's nothing harmful about, you know, some of the things that, that uh, you know, meditation and things like that, but the Chopra Center uh, takes everything a step too far. Um, he claims that, what is it, Avir, there's a, there's a medical thing that he does, and I can't, unfortunately, he uses the word quantum a lot. Ayurvedic or whatever, <laughs> something that, that there's some kind of medical benefits from some type of a salad word mumbo jumbo kind of 
something or other, and then he gets into detoxification and implausible spiritual solutions and blah, 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 blah. There's, and a, anyway, there's for, a wonderful, uh, uh, there's a little site that does uh, Deepak Chopra uh, code generators. Oh. You just click on and there's a, like a word salad of the word know, sal- yeah. consciousness of the quantum is parallel to the parking spot. I don't know. <laughs> so, anyway, the, yeah. That's it's insane. Really some, so if you need an antidote to that, um, that's fun and factual. Um, it's the Deepak Chopper random quote generator. There we go. That's what you said. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. what I was talking The about. wisdom of chopper.com. You were ahead of me on that one. See, yeah. I'm a liar. I'm a liar. And as Brian says, proof that entropy only improves chopper. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven is the foodbabe.com. You know the yes, food babe? Yes, I do. Really? She actually is a nice looking girl. The website's a pretty website. Um, anyway, it's, many people describe her website as the worst assault on science and the internet and it's a it's a um, her name is Vanny Hari and it's a blog and she's a food activist she began in 2011 and by 2015 she was named one of Time magazine's 30 most influential people on the internet of course you can influence for bad or evil or good mm-hmm. or mediocre so we all know where she stands and also she has a New York Times best-selling best-selling book but the book mostly embraces and promotes every food fad that that comes along so the obvious healthy alternative to the food babe is the science babe I was about to say just that <laughs> and you know the science babe because she was on our uh, podcast when was it a month science ago science babe so? no no we what never had the science, science babe, babe? no uh, you talk about Cara Santa Maria yeah uh, she's not the science babe what was she Carol, Cara Santa Maria is a she's a science educator. She said, "Don't they but, call her the science?" Anyway, no, maybe, no. There was oh, another okay. person whose another name one. I forget. It's Stephanie something. If I remember. There we go. I'm giving a report, and I'm the most. <laughs> I'm the one that's giving the most in, misinformation. On, on, you can't. Don't trust anybody, especially the person giving the report. Anyway, the science babe, whoever she is, go look her up. She's an totally, actual food totally science expert. Yeah, and uh, she she might have gotten on the the radar by smacking down Vani Hari, but her site really is an excellent resource. Anyway, the number six, Disclose.tv, which is the National Enquirer of the Century. Uh, they have aliens, UFOs, mermaids, Planet X, ghosts, ancient mysteries, all that good kind of stuff. Um, and the safe and sane alternative to that is Skeptic's Diary. Do we know about Skeptic's Diary? It's a pretty good site. No, I'm pretty much. Yeah, it's, it's a impressive site. It gives uh, facts and history behind almost every imaginable paranoia, uh, paranormal, or, or strange story. Number five. Hold on, before that, uh, yeah. the Cybabe, uh, her name is Yvette D'Antremont. Okay. Just to make sure there. There we go. Man, did I ever oh, really? get that one confused? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry to both ladies. Um, number five, Dr. Oz. Oh, um, God. Our favorite. Uh, the nation's leading promoter of unscientific alternative medicine. And people had a, you know, a lot of, he has a lot of followers. People does, have, have taken what he says as absolute gospel, if I may use that word. Um, but uh, usually it's just a, a, a site, you know, it's a, to attract, to, to get people to spend a lot of money on, on various things. Well, he was brought so, in front of the Senate and he, he, he he was accused of essentially you know, he was. using language that was not quite true. And yeah. he admitted, he said, we do use flowery language, was his, his exact line. That's true. Flowery language. So the alternative is quackwatch.com, there we which go. we know. And um, number four, infowars.com. <laughs> Have you you've seen that one by Alex Jones? Alex Jones, yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, man. The patron saint of delusional paranoid. You sure he should be number I, one? I can't yeah. even... Yeah, wait, well, wait till we get to number one. I can't even stomach watching him for a couple of minutes. Oh, this guy's insane. Absolutely insane. Oh, yeah, he mixes conspiracy theories, racism, anti-Semitism, and profound distrust of almost everything scientific. <laughs> Wallace Neal, the army is going to attack oh. America. Oh, yeah, he's a piece of work. <laughs> he's a- so... This is so funny. So with everything in terms of an alternative, on this one, Brian says, for a safe and sane alternative to InfoWars, just turn your computer off and go outside. <laughs> <laughs> there is no alternative. Just get rid.
rid of it altogether. Burn the computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Number three is Mercola. I know of them. It's a big, big, big medical scam site. Oh, really? Oh, Mercola, Dr. Mercola. Yeah, he's an yeah. anti-vac activist. Anti, yeah. Anti-vac, anti-just about anything that's proper science. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, he's received at least one warning letter from the FDA in the, in the U.S. warning him, uh, you know, about his, his supplement products and so oh, forth yeah. and so on. But you believe it or not, he has 7 million in annual sales. I, oh I, had, a girlfriend, I had a girlfriend who tried to throw me an article from Mercola about uh, it was about aspartame mm. and how bad aspartame was yeah. for you and I opened the th- and right away the, the website just smacks of a quack site I mean it's just it's ho- oh. yeah yeah oh. anger well, anger I'm feeling anger <laughs> oh, calm yeah. down let's go go now the alternative the, the alternative to Dr. McCullough is sciencebasedmedicine.org. There we go. Which is a blog dedicated to replacing medical misinformation with medical fact. Number two, this is really a surprise. This is a surprise. History.com. The history... Like the, the history TV, in the U, yeah, in the U.S., oh. the History Channel used to be a very respected it channel. Used to, yes. It because it began with educational programming, but it began to drift further and further into pop sensationalism. And today, about the only remnant of any kind of educational programming is bad information. Um, and then they have some reality shows, and uh, it's it's just it's 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 not a it, it's not a reputable um, channel anymore. They do have some pretty good history things but other than that it's pretty sketchy Forbes magazine describes its content as programs devoted to monsters aliens and conspiracies which is a shame because it really started out well so a uh, healthy alternative um, and this is pretty United States centric is the Smithsonian stories from the National Museum of American History which Mm. is a pretty one or uh, the oh say can you see Blog. I'm not familiar with that. Oh, say, can you see? Okay, here we go. Da-da, number one, drum roll. Naturalnews.com. Oh, well, of course. The Health Ranger. This, the Health Ranger, this has the distinction of being the wrongest site, as Brian says, the wrongest site on the Internet. It began as the blog of conspiracy theorist Mike Adams, and now it's a massive sales and advertising portal for alternative supplements and crank nonsense and, you know, all kinds of um, stuff, even police state conspiracy mongering, a, a lot of it. And Adams himself says that his site is a science-based natural health advocacy organization <laughs> led by activist-turned-scientist Mike Adams. The, the, the thing is, is that when you see a website that says naturalnews.com, it sort of sucks you in before yeah, you realize, you know, that it's the exact opposite. And um, it's been cited for misinformation by the Los Angeles Times, Forbes, ABC News, New York Times, almost every reputable um, uh, publication has, uh, has has called it, you know, the the absolute worst. So, um, natural news, there's really, the only the only one that, that Brian says to counter it is probably one called doubtfulnews.com. Anybody know doubt? doubtful? No, I've never heard yeah, of it. It's, it's supposed to be a thinking person's web browser. So okay. we'll take a take a look yeah, at that. Yeah, we should. And there you have it. I'm headed to the natural news Anybody want to add now. anything <laughs> to the worst? Oh, God. I don't know what else I could add to that. That's a pretty thorough list right there. Yeah. Well, just about every Fox other, News? Every other, <laughs> site, every other site you hit on the web is going to be one of these, though. That's, yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, think, I think maybe a point uh, for, for the audience out there to know, often when you see um, point .co or point you know, dot .something, uh, you should look more for dot .org, dot .edu, these are probably, it's probably a clue, you know, if you got like, 
greeknews.co or dot something, chances are it's probably not that super reputable. And you can always do a quick search to see if this site is correct or not. They got they got agencies out there that will look out for that. So anyway, thank you so much, Nancy, for a lot of info. But in the meantime, let's go to our segment we always like called Another Brilliant Moment. Uh-huh. Brought to you by religion. We've got a couple of stories. Because we just love to showcase how brilliant people are when it comes to religion. Now, it's common practice for a state-funded adoption centers in Texas to reject potential adopters for religious reason. If you're in Texas, you just ask any LGBT, non-Christian, or single parent, and they'll tell you how difficult it is to get approved. Texas legislators took this discriminatory practice a step further uh, this week by pushing a law through the state house that intends to prevent victim uh, to prevent victims of discrimination from suing. So now, not only do you could be discriminated against for adopting, but now you can't sue them either. You know, it's really, it's really a shame. Texas is becoming the the, the most bigoted state in the United States. Becoming? It, beca- it really, it, 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 I know. You, it's been there for a while, I think. It, well, it was tame compared to what they're doing now, all out assault on, on trans people, on, oh, yes. on the, the adoption, on voter suppression. Uh, Greg Abbott is just taking aim at everybody except white Christian uh, evangelical yeehaw boys, you know, that drink beer and watch football. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's it. It's wow. really becoming a... I got everything going against difficult. me. Yeah. I, got the beer. I got the beer down. <laughs> so naturally, the Republicans have a stronghold in the Texas House, so it shouldn't come as a surprise that the representative moved to approve the, quote, Freedom to Serve Children Act. Uh-huh. What? Yeah, that's the name of the act. Yeah. In a vote of 94 to 51. Introduced by state-supported private organizations seeking legal protection from distraught adoptive and foster parents, the measure will now head to the state senate. So, and, and if you know, it does, if it for some reason doesn't get there, I think Greg Abbott is ready to hold a special session to make sure that the, the rest of his bigoted agenda mm-hmm. gets pushed through. I, I don't know whether the ACLU um, and other organizations are are going to. Um, hit back yeah. as fast as possible but I'm, I'm hoping that they do before these any of these laws you know have a foothold it kind of reminds me also of our friend Arn Raw who's actually running for a senator yeah. and we need more people like him because if he was a senator there's so no way hell he would he, he must just be beside himself oh. watching this go oh down. that's why he's running yeah exactly. I mean he must just be just seething under the under the surface you know watching it go down and and no, he was when and he all was. All he could do is shake his head right now and, and campaign more. Right? I, you know, I've said that Aaron is probably the hardest working man in atheism, and I still think he holds that title. So well, we'll he see. was thinking of running when oh, he, he was running. up here. I mean, when he was up yeah, here. Yeah, that's right. When he came yeah, up here, right? Lalandra he, he told us. Yeah. Him and Lalandra, yeah. yeah. All right, another story. Now, how did the Grand Canyon form? Do you guys know? It's a well, question per- that's certainly. Apparently, it's the floodwaters when they receded. <laughs> caused runoff and, and carried away the sediment and that's yeah, right. it was about 4,500 years ago. That's right. <laughs> well, now it turns out a creationist decided to sue the Grand Canyon for religious discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Suing the Grand Canyon or suing the state park running the Grand Canyon? No, they're suing the Grand Canyon. Okay, because well, this this guy is on YouTube, right? And uh, if you go down the long train of Grand Canyon videos, you'll eventually find a two-part, 35-minute lecture by Andrew Snelling. The first time, it's not really a typical geology lecture. It about, comes about a minute in when Snelling proclaims, The Grand Canyon does provide a testament to the biblical account of Earth history. Snelling is a prominent young Earth creationist. For years, he's been giving lectures, guided biblical themes, Grand Canyon rafting tours... Rafting tours, biblical, biblical guide. That's that's wonderful. And uh, he worked for the nonprofit Answers in Genesis. So we know where all this is going. Oh boy. Um. Uh. Yeah. So young Earth creationists have a tendency to think that the Earth is only a couple of thousand years old, about six thousand years old. Snelling believes that the Grand Canyon formed after Noah's flood, and he's now he now claims the U.S. government is blocking his research in the canyon because of his religious views. So Snelling decided to sue the park administrators and the Department of the Interior. So he's actually suing the Grand Canyon itself, you know. Um, 
which administers the National Park Program, because it would not grant him permit to collect 50 to 60 fist-sized rocks. All research in the National Park is restricted, especially if it requires removing material. But the Grand Canyon does host about 80 research projects. So, the Alliance Defending Freedom, <laughs> a Christian legal advocacy group, filed a lawsuit on behalf of Snelling, alleged discrimination by the park, National Park Service, researching Grand Canyon, okay for geologists, but not the Christians one, they say. So, I don't know, the uh, Christians always had a bit of an obsession with it. <laughs> Wouldn't it be easier just to give them the... the a hundred pounds of rock and, and say yeah go to it well the, the thing is is they want to they don't want to move what was in the park you, even as a tourist you're not allowed to just pick right. up stuff no and you're leave not allowed it, right? to but, but I'm saying from the from the park's point of view and from the the national interest point of view wouldn't it be easier to give these bozos what they want and then have them prove themselves wrong yes I, I guess it would be <laughs> Well, that, that would be too easy. It, it, would be a, it would be the biggest I told you so you could ever do. And you could yeah. put it right on the front page of the New York Times. But uh, where, where is it? Or the Dallas Morning News. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the, the thing is, is the type of rock that they have in the Grand Canyon can also be found elsewhere. So he doesn't need to remove these specific rocks. He can get that same type of rock somewhere else. And that's one of the reasons they decided for not giving him those rocks. So. <laughs> Although I'm not sure what the hell he's... Trying to well, prove he with trying those to rocks prove, like. uh, that the flood happened, right? Um, so, if you want to know how the uh, uh, the Grand Canyon was formed, the thing the lazily winding Colorado River you see today is not the river that formed the Grand Canyon. Uh, also, humans are bad at intu uh, intuiting the consequences of deep time. Once you add enough zeros, the number of years they all start to sound the same. It's hard to imagine how much can happen in geological time. At one point, 1.7 billion years ago, a series of volcanoes crashed into what would become the continent of North America and created mountains taller than the Himalayas today. Those mountains eroded back down to hills to form the rock that now rests at the base of the canyon. Over countless millions of years, a shallow sea expanded and contracted over the area, laying down the sediments that would become the sandstone, shale, and limestone layers. Plate tectonics then pushed those rocks up and up to become the Colorado Plateau, and finally, flowing water carved its way down 1.7 billion years of rock. Hmm. That is, in a, in a nutshell, how we think the Grand Canyon happened. The uh, creationists saying, no, 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 it's just, you know... Somehow there was some blockage, and when the water, the flood waters receded, it created this huge carving. But you never think to ask for half a second, why just there? If the water was covering the entire planet, why is there not a Grand Canyon in Africa, or a Grand Canyon in China, or a Grand Canyon in South America? Well, they have excuses for that. Exactly. Well, that, I was just going to get to that. If they, if they were allowed to do the research and, and found out that, the research was wrong. It it didn't prove what they want. Would they admit it? No. no or did no, they go on and say what excuse? What science? What what excuse do they give for the science that was there all the time? Yeah, they would just take the data and skew it to make it okay. to make it sound the way they want to. Right. Yeah. That's the problem with creationists. They they instead of using the scientific method of you know following yeah. where the data leads, they start with a conclusion and try to make the data fit. Yeah. And this is why I can understand why these these people in the park says, no, you're not going to take those rocks because you're just going to skew and you're just going to create more havoc. And good for them. So he needs to go away, Mr. Snelling. Yeah, no, not good report. It's nice to know how it really formed. Thanks for including that in as part of your report. No problem. Makes the whole makes the whole story, you know, full circle. <laughs> so, yeah, Perfect. Great. So let's go to commercial for now, and when we come back, we'll be with David Smalley. So stay with us. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. 
Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Centre. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. Great comfort, his big stumper was literally, which came first, the chicken or the egg? A lot of the interviews took place in front of a building that said liberal arts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that they're not all science majors. (laughs) Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it, because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can, uh, we need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. And we're back. Well, joining us... Live, I guess, in some way, via LA, we have David Smalley. The, he's an author, he's the host of the very popular Dogma Debate, he's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> yeah, Say that again, Dave. I said, you have half of your information incorrect about me. I've never been described as a good dancer, ever. <laughs> well, you heard it here first for the first time here on Left of the Buy yourself a, ta- a pair of tap shoes and have at it, Dave. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Dave. Uh, you're, you're very popular south of the 49th. You might not be as well known north of the 49th. For some of our listeners that might not know you, David, would you be so kind to give us the Reader's Digest a version of who you are? Yeah, I have this awesome TV show called The Atheist Experience, um, <laughs> and the Thinking Atheist podcast is my number one baby. That's what I do for a living. My name is Seth Matthew Dillahunty Andrews. <laughs> but sometimes I go by the pseudonym Aaron Ra, and I blog a lot. So. Oh. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> In all seriousness. <laughs> uh, just dogmadebate.com. I'm David C. Smalley on Twitter. Uh, I tweet like 900 times a day. So um, that's how you know when I'm pooping. That's right. <laughs> Good one. Dave, you, you probably have one of the most popular uh, podcasts, uh, atheist podcasts out there. Um, and you're also the, uh, the man behind the secular media. Uh, how did that come about? Oh, man. Um, you know, the, the the popularity of the podcast is something I always envisioned because I, I developed it as a radio show, uh, not really as a podcast. I was hosting, I, I was actually doing a podcast before I knew what podcasts were. Back in 2003, I was hosting a show, it was actually a hip-hop comedy show, where we would bring on unsigned comedians and upcoming hip-hop artists that were underground. And we would interview them, but we would just, like, rip them. I mean, like, just imagine, like, Simon Cowell doing a roast of a hip-hop artist. That's basically (laughs) what our show was. And we would come on, we would play their stuff, just completely trash them. And then uh, we would do four, four guests a week. And by that fourth guest, we would leave the studio and go straight to this venue that we had rented out. And all four guests would perform, and we would actually be supportive. And the whole concept was that we were sort of... Um, you know, it's really tough to make it to the music industry if you can get past, you know, a couple of jackasses giving you a hard time on the, on a radio show. Um, you can, 
you, 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 can, you can make it out in the industry. And so we would do that, and only like 30 people listened live, but then they were able to download it later. And we were getting thousands and thousands of downloads later. And so it wasn't even called podcasting at the time, but we just had an internet radio show that people listened to after we were done recording it. And um, that's kind of the background I came from. And then I moved into this, this hip-hop radio station, and I, and I worked for an urban television network. I did voiceover stuff and built all of that. So I was always doing something in media. But on the side, I had this, this uh, strong passion to really make a difference in the world, not just do comedy, entertainment, or music. I wanted to actually, you know, I, not to say that those things don't have an effect on people, but it's more for entertainment and joy. I really wanted to change people's minds and do something having, you know, to do with with real substance. And so I had this hobby going of blogging, reading, writing about religion. And so finally around 2008, I married the two passions and said, "You know, I'm going to start this blog, but it's going to be a, a safe place for people to come and and talk about their religious beliefs." And um on accident, you know, someone commented something really nasty an atheist came and, and and commented something really nasty to a christian who had commented on my blog and my first instinct was to just delete the nasty comment and, and say oh he doesn't represent most of us he's just being a jerk and instead i left the comment there and i replied to the comment and i said hey man look we're both atheists but do you think that's going to make this guy listen to you you know think about it i mean i understand if you're frustrated but isn't the goal to get him on our side how do you how how well do you think that's going to work with you calling him a lunatic and, and, and saying that he's ridiculous and an idiot? I mean, how, how far are we really going to get with this guy? And then the Christians were watching the atheist argue about how we were approaching this, and the blog took off. It, it wasn't even a show yet. It was just the blog. And then by 2012, um, I mean, I launched it in 2010. It completely failed. It was horrible. It was miserable. I relaunched in 2012 in its current platform. And um, I I wanted to engage these people, but it took so long because I would have to type out a response and then just wait four or five hours for them to respond. And it was this very long, tedious process. And so I thought, let me just get these people on the line and record it. And that's how Dogma Debate was born. And I started building it with my experience doing radio shows uh, from, from the early 2000s. And... Um, I was, I don't know, I, I always envisioned it as like this morning show type thing, and um, so we put the little zips and buzzes, and some people hated that stuff, some people loved it, they liked listening to the morning show style, and um, slowly but surely we ended up on, I think, a total of five AM, FM radio stations throughout the country, and uh, the podcast, you know, received several eight, nine million downloads, and uh, podcast one took notice in LA reached out and said, Hey, do you want to, you want to come to LA and do your show? We can put you up with some really good people. And so I moved to LA and, uh, that's what I'm working on right now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have the honor of, of, you know, I mean, the, the people on my schedule right now, I just, I just released a show with Richard Dawkins. I've got Adam Carolla, Michael Shermer, Pete Bogosian, uh, PETA is coming in studio. <laughs> the actual organization, PETA. <laughs> Um, and I just, I don't know, it, it's been an absolute honor and, uh, it's, it's a, it's a ton of work. If you want to know how the real answer is, I, I get the work of three people done in one day mm. and I, I never stop working on this stuff. Um, it's, you know, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, still in bed, I'm answering emails, texts, tweets, I'm responding. I mean, it's, you know, up until the second I fall asleep, I usually fall asleep with my phone in my hand responding to an email. I mean, it's, it's, it's exhausting, but, um, rewarding at the same time well you've been doing some fantastic work and you know see guys he's almost as popular as we are now <laughs> <laughs> well we are something to aspire to there's no doubt about that my, my introduction to david's show was uh he still had arn raw and rachel nanon brown and they did this episode where they decided to switch sides on a debate and rachel was pretty much tipsy and that was my introduction to uh, david's show and i've been following it ever since and i highly recommend it that's awesome. Just so you know, Rachel absolutely hates that episode. <laughs> I know. But she it was, hates it. You d n never mention it to her if you talk. She, she absolutely hates it. As a matter of fact, the, her being tipsy during the debate was the, was, the, was the only caveat so that she would have an excuse afterwards in case Aaron beat her as a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Yeah, for, for those wondering, essentially, Aaron had done so much arguing against creationists that he wanted to play the creationist role. And Rachel absolutely understands the science, but had never been in a debate before. So we were, we were kind of testing style over substance. You know, if someone was completely wrong, we all knew it going into it, could the style win over substance? Because obviously the truth is on Rachel's side, but could Aaron's forceful personality win the debate even though everyone knew he was clearly wrong so they both got a little drunk and did it and it was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> it was a fantastic episode one of many one of many and then you started the uh, secular media group I did uh, the concept there was to, to sort of share the spotlight and, and to, to bring up some, some upcoming podcasters that I thought were doing really really good work out there and uh, I believe we have a total of seven under the network. And um, when I signed my deal, you may not know this, but when I signed my deal in L.A. in January, I think I signed in December, actually, and moved in January, um, I had to remove Dogma Debate from the network because hmm. I couldn't be signed to both networks. And Podcast One you know, now has Dogma Debate under its umbrella, and Secular Media Network still has all the others. So what I did is I left the infrastructure in place. Um, you know, I still have all of the server space paid for. Um, our IT folks still manage all of the all of the uh, servers that host all the podcasts, and we still pay for it all. But I've handed over the reins to Secular Media Network to Bobby Carey and um, Callie Wright. So I essentially just I built it and then I gave it to them. Um, because I, I couldn't have a conflict of interest running you know, two networks. Mm-hmm. And now tell us about Tiny Thinkers. What is that? So this is one of my favorite stories to tell ever. Um, I was on tour, and a, a, a listener of the show reached out and said, hey, I noticed you're going to be coming through Louisiana. Would you mind stopping at my place? My wife and I will make some great gumbo, and, and we can sit and talk. And I said, sure. And then he's like, well, you know, I'm actually friends with Jerry DeWitt. And sometimes we have meetings at my house. We might schedule a meeting while you're here. And I said, well, as long as we're doing that, I'll do a freaking broadcast from your living room. And he was blown away, thought that was great. Uh, literally built me a table, by the way. <laughs> uh, he did, I was like, do you have a six foot table? He's like, yep. And I got there and he had just finished making it. And I'm like, you, <laughs> you made a table? Like we could have made other arrangements. The guy is just, he's so hands on. And uh, so he makes the table, and we do a show, and then afterwards we're eating gumbo at, at his table, and he's like, David, I want to I wanna read something to you. And I'm like, here we go. This is the pitch. You know what I mean? This is, this is what happens. <laughs> so he starts reading, and I'm hearing him read this story about this little boy who goes on an adventure. I'm like, okay, it's a, it's a kid's story. He's like, yeah, I wrote these for my daughters. They, they were bedtime stories. And I was like, okay. So I, I'm listening to him. I'm kind of half listening. I'm, I'm eating this, this gumbo. It was amazing gumbo. And um, uh, he's he's reading this story, and I'm hearing about this little boy who goes on a trip, and he goes to the Galapagos Islands, and I'm thinking, well, that sounds familiar. And then he goes on to talk about how he meets up with a tortoise, and I'm like, oh, the, the, the giant Galapagos tortoise, that's cool. And then slowly but surely I'm realizing that he's talking about how all these birds look similar, but they're a little bit different, and then the turtle of this tortoise starts to explain why the birds look different and that the tortoise has been there for 200 years and has seen changes over time. And I just slowly put my spoon down and I'm like, what is happening in this story right now? And when it gets to the end, I'm hearing him say, and then Charlie went back, this little boy named Charlie went back to England and started writing down everything that he noted. And I just started getting chills. I'm like, he's talking about Charles Darwin, but he's called him Charlie. And I just, I fell in love, and I'm like, give me that paper. And I read that one, and then we proceeded to sit at the table for the next two and a half hours and read 19 stories that he had written. And his name is M.J. Mouton, and uh, he's been involved with you know, all sorts of charity work and, and all kinds of stuff. He's a great guy. He wrote these stories for his kids and just decided, hey, I want to share these with the world. So I took that story. Uh, we went back and forth with it, with it, made some changes, put some – we got an illustrator to do an amazing illustration with it. Um, Nicole, our graphic designer, got on board to be the art director for the project and put the books together. And then uh, you know, our listeners rallied around us to, to raise the money to actually get them printed. 
And then we went to Book Expo America and got a major distribution deal. And now it's available through Barnes and Noble and Amazon and just about everywhere you can buy books. Um, the first one, Charlie and the Tortoise, is out and ready. The website is tinythinkersbooks.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next one coming out is uh, – so th- basically th- this whole concept now is that you have real-life scientists – uh, who really made a, a big change in the world or a major discovery or, or, or a massive impact on, on the world. And we tell their stories, true stories, but we tell them from the perspective of them being a child going on an adventure. And the next one that we're releasing this fall, 2017, is called Carl Goes to the Library or Carl Went to the Library. We're still playing back and forth with it. And... Um, it's about a, a young a young boy who uh, loves to fly, so he's constantly like running to the library with his arms out, making airplane noises. <laughs> uh, and I'm doing it here in my studio, as if you can see me. <laughs> uh, but uh, he goes to the library, learns all about flying, and then wants to discover planets. And uh, it turns out that that little boy named Carl, you'll find in the end of the book, spoiler alert, ends up being Carl Sagan. Fantastic. We've got We've got um, oh, and and Lawrence Krauss wrote the foreword for that book, mm. and it's coming out here just in the in the fall. Cara uh, Santa Maria wrote the foreword for Charlie and the Tortoise. For Charles Darwin, talks about the impact Charles Darwin had on her life, and we've got tons and tons of scientists we're going to be featuring. So um, it's super super exciting. No, it's a fa- it's a fantastic idea. It's a fantastic project, and we're more than supportive about that. Um, but we gotta ask because as as Canadians, we're we're concerned about sometimes what we see across the the border. Uh, let me give you guys a few a few facts about the U.S. educational system. Um, out of fifty seven countries, the top performers in education were Finland, Hong Kong, Canada, Taiwan, Estonia, Japan, and Korea. The uh, U.S. seems to fit somewhere halfway in the middle. The U.S. came in seventeenth in science, twenty fourth in math but fifth as spending per student. So they spend a lot of money, but the results don't seem to be there. Um, right, it, but but we are number one in people who believe in angels, so suck it. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, and you've got Betsy DeVos, so there. In 2012, <laughs> in 2012 the Atlantic said the U.S. schools are expensive, unequal, and bad at math. Um, researchers know that the U.S. has one of the biggest gaps between high and low performers which is based directly on the social economical uh, gauge for those students. Uh, 2011 study found that, that uh, high math scores are an economic indicator. So, uh, so what you're doing there essentially is you're trying to help save the country there, Dave. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and when, when MJ brought the books to me, that was kind of his vision, is he, he wanted to help educate. And our mission at Dogman Debate, at Secular Media Group, our parent company, all of this, has always been to entertain, sorry, to educate the public through entertainment. We want to educate people. I mean, you listen to my show, we talk, we laugh, we make stupid jokes, we have hardcore debates, but in the end, this is all about educating people through entertainment. I'm not sitting you down and saying, here's a lesson, you need to take notes, and no, no, no. It, it, it's a public education through entertainment. And Mario's, or he goes by MJ, but, but Mario's goal in this was to do exactly that. He wants to, you know, his kids are being raised and brought up with these stories, so they get it. And he thought, why not do this for the rest of the kids in the world? You know, give them an opportunity as well. And it is a struggle because sometimes, you know, in our education system, I mean, tons of teachers, librarians, they are constantly reaching out, either buying tons of books or, or Mario is so damn generous, he buys them himself and then just sends them to them for free because he wants them to... to um, to have them for their kids. But sometimes there is a little bit of pushback when they see that it's Charles Darwin. And there's this concept that, oh, it's an atheist book. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's a science book about a scientist. And and that's why we're putting it together as a Tiny Thinkers series. So that people can see this isn't just a Darwin thing. That just happened to be the first book because it had such a cool surprise ending that people weren't really expecting. Uh, but overall, I mean, you're, you're spot on. That's exactly his vision for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've, you've expressed that some teachers are looking to uh, get into this uh, series of books, but what was the response at a higher administrative level? You know, the, the school districts, the, the, uh, the, I don't know if you call them trustees in the States, uh, people in charge of school boards. I don't know what you guys call them in the States down there. I think you've expressed any interest in, the, in that series of books. You know, um, for the most part, 
they let the librarians choose what goes. Um, it hasn't been adopted as 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 a curriculum specifically, uh, and that's something we hope will happen in the future. Like maybe a you know a science class will pick this up as a textbook sort of thing, um, or at least at least required reading material, not a textbook, but you know something to say like when you're in you know second grade or first grade science or kindergarten science, they're, they're, they should start at some point. Uh, and right now, there's nothing on that level. I, I don't think they start learning here in the states. I don't think science becomes a big deal until about seventh grade. Um, you have science classes, but it's very, very basic stuff. You don't get into evolution or anything like that, or that animals are even connected. Um, and you know, I I, I got to tell you, as a being in gr- growing up in Texas, I learned a lot of stuff that was just false. I did. I was taught abstinence-only sex education. I was taught um, that the number one reason for the Civil War, hope you're sitting down, uh, the number one reason for the Civil War was a financial disagreement between the North and South. (laughs) And it wasn't the Civil War, it was the war between the states. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what, I mean, I'm telling you, it it was very much downplayed that slavery, you know, and they even addressed it and said it's a common myth that slavery was the cause of the Civil War, that's not true. So for years, even early into my adulthood, I had to unlearn stuff and go, wait a minute. I was just flat out lied to by a very conservative, corrupt uh, education system. And because Texas is so big and provides most of the books in the country, what California and Texas want, that's what the rest of the country learns. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, I was about to say, I was about to ask exactly that question. <laughs> He's been anticipating my questions, this guy. <laughs> so, so. All in all, I mean, it seems it seems to us when we look down south at the Americans, it seems to there is this huge wave of anti-intellectualism going sweeping across the states. Is it really as bad as it seems down there, David? Or is there any hope there? You know what I think it is. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. I think it's this ridiculous pride on tradition. It's let's keep what we have, America. We we're gonna hold on to old shit that doesn't work anymore. Like that's our that's our concept, right? And and I think you, you mentioned Hong Kong. I think China has the perfect mix. So it is political. You're a communist. They are very much about their tradition, about their heritage, about pride, in their in, you know patriotism. They are very much about that, but they don't let that stop them from making progress in science and math and education, right? Yes, they do dancing dragons in the streets, but they're not letting the teachers say, those dragons are totally real. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's, what, that's what our country is doing. They take God and, and angels as this, this major start of our country, you know, God's country, God bless America, this whole amber ways of grain and, and, and God's watching out for us. Okay, fine, fine. But when we get into the education system, the teachers are still pulling kids aside going, yeah, that invisible thing is totally real. And they, they focus on traditional values instead of progressive education and information. You know, my kids are now in in what's called uh, an online private charter school. So they do the school online, but it is medically accurate sex education. Uh, my son is in high school in this in this platform, and he's doing like they're they're teaching him to balance a checkbook, to create a budget, nice. to make to make a grocery list. He has to make a diet plan. He can't have unhealthy foods on his diet plan. You know, it, it really, I mean, that's real education, helping a, a young man become a man. That's what they're doing. And they don't shy away from things like, you know, um, sexually transmitted diseases, pregnancy rates in the U.S. He had to answer all these questions in uh, courses called life management. The public wow. system in America does not do that. They're, they're so influenced by, we don't talk to kids about that. You don't tell kids about sex because then they might go do it yeah like they've never heard of it before the teacher said it you know <laughs> um, and it's just it's ridiculous concept and and one last thing I'll say about it is I think America could learn a lot from America and here's what I mean by that you take those same conservatives who don't want to teach kids about sex don't want to teach kids about corruption don't want to teach kids about money 
none of that's important. Let's just make them pass the test so that, you know, these really white school districts do very well in the funding. No, 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 no. Take a lesson from the same conservative Christians when the topic of guns come up. If I would go to a conservative and say, don't teach kids about guns, because then they might use them and shoot each other. That conservative is going to say, no, I teach my kid about guns so he can be safe around them. Oh, really? Really? You mean exposing them to information, even if it's slightly dangerous or uncomfortable, can be good for them in the long run because then they learn how to respond in a situation when the guns are presented? Replace guns with sex and tell me why you're a freaking idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic. So all in all, Dave, you're optimistic about the future of this. Uh, Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, honestly, I am because a lot of these people are dying, and that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> these old bastards are finally getting out of the way. I think we may, we may have, I don't know, 40, 50 years of bullshit left, and then I think we're good to go. Um, and right now, I don't know if you've noticed, known this or not, but uh, just this past, I think last, last week or so, a new research study came out. Uh, I don't know if it was Pew Research or I don't have the facts in front of me, but um, it, it's on the Secular Coalition for America website, secular.org. It's that the non-religious or religiously unaffiliated is officially, as of two weeks ago, religiously unaffiliated is officially the new largest religious demographic in the United States. It's fantastic news. Yeah, wow. so we're headed in the right direction. And now these aren't necessarily atheists, but they are the nuns. People yes. who say, yeah, I don't ascribe to any of that stuff. Or I'm, I think God is out there somewhere, but I don't follow a religion. These people are who the good news to me is those people are the ones who are raising children. And most of the Christians I know who are in that realm who will say, "Ah, I'm kind of Christian, but they'll check none on a form like that. When their kids ask them, is there a God? They say, I don't know, buddy. What do you think? And that's all we're asking for right now. Mm -hmm. And that's that's having wonderful results. Fantastic. Dave, thank you so much for your time. If people want to find you, where can they reach you? dogmadebate.com uh, is the best way. We've got a contact form, a brand new website, and uh, or Twitter. Twitter at <laughs> David C. Smalley. Yeah. Excellent. Dave, before I let you go, can I get you to say, hi, I'm David Smalley of Dogma Debate, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, this is David Smalley from Dogma Debate, and I took a left at the valley. And that was David Smalley oh, of Dogma that? Debate. Yeah. Yes. yes. I'm really excited about those those books when they come out anybody who has a um, a child and you need to get that child a present it's already foregone you buy the book and yep, you exactly. send it to the send I it have, to the child i have two grandchildren there you and go. i know what i'm getting them yep. yeah absolutely and uh, you know he does such fantastic work the man works tirelessly for for the for the cause and you just have to admire that from him and we certainly look forward to bring him on the show again oh so anytime wouldn't it be fun to have him and Aaron on at the same time? Ooh, oh, now that is something else. Would that be wonderful or yeah. what? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to let him go, these two. That's we just right. Sit we and just let him go. Turn the mics on, go off, have a beer, and come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, guys. Uh, you can follow us at leftatthevalley.com. You can follow us at Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. You can send us an email at leftatvalley at outlook.com. You can find us on Blog Talk, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, etc., etc. Send us a five-star review. That really helps other people find the show. If you haven't done that yet, if you're going to give us a one-star review, then just don't bother. (laughs) Coming up next week, we'll be talking to our old friend Del Ray, our sexy psychologist. And we'll be talking about uh, what he's doing with the Recovery from Religion Foundation and also hypnotism in church. Oh, wow. Yeah. Looking forward to that. And I'm still working on other people like Jerry DeWitt and uh, Dan Barker and etc., etc. So... Stay tuned. We'll have some more great shows. we got a lot of etceteras in our future. It's summer. <laughs> Summer's have a coming soon, so I don't know. Very good. Thank you, guys. Until next time. non-believers are evil. What a fucked up statement. Do you realize what you're saying? But according to your book, this is how your God made me. Skeptical of anything that contradicts history. Denies evolution. Hates science. Promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone. Surrounded by damn idiots As long as
Cause there's a price in my body You can bet your last dollar I'll be working hard fighting this problem Religion is a disease It comes from culture Only true on a regional scale Science is universal isn't real, but Jesus is Or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu You don't believe in them I think the reason is apparent You do what you're told and believe In the God assigned by your parents I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it Faith and unsubstantiated claims That's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist Backwards and the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name And let me take a sec Don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, unintended I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet You're not alone, speak your mind Time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist A skeptic, a non-believer And if Something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist, 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 atheist.